Hi, Val here, and this is my podcast, The Kalahari Diaries. I live in one of Africa's most remote wilderness areas. Nature and wildlife is my biggest passion. I hand-raced Serga the lioness and walked the Kalahari to join her on her hunts. My work is on tourism and nature conservation. For fun, but also for wildlife monitoring, I fly anything that gets me into the air. I live in an old caravan. The next supermarket is a two and a half hour drive away on sandy and bumpy roads. There is no cell reception anywhere nearby and the only comms is an extremely slow, extremely expensive satellite internet connection. I am Valentin Grüne and this is my podcast The Kalahari Diaries. Okay, here we are with the second episode of The Kalahari Diaries. A lot of people dream of heading a lion, being close to a cheetah and all kinds of things like that with African wildlife. And there's a lot of this out there offered for tourism and often sort of behind the umbrella of a conservation activity or something that benefits wildlife in Africa. And I think it's important with what I do that I state my opinion and my views on this kind of tourism and those activities very clearly, specifically because it is becoming a more and more big subject in the media, especially on social media. There's all kinds of stories about lines, all these places, sanctuaries, and, and so on. And I think it's just important to review the ethics of all of this so that everyone can form their own opinion and their own decision about how and where they would like to spend their holiday and where they would like to leave their money. And more specifically, whether they want to be part of conservation work in Africa or not. I believe I have a little bit of experience in this field. It's now been over 10 years that I've been involved with this kind of stuff in Africa. And yeah, mostly with my own project, but actually through a few other programs as well. And I'm not here to name places or tell anybody where to go and where not to go. But what I would like to do is to discuss the ethics in general around this whole industry about nature conservation, line breeding, line cup petting, and all of that stuff. Yeah, little disclaimer up front. I'm not here to ruin anybody's childhood dream. I'm simply here to give everybody a chance to make an educated decision about how they want to spend their money and how they want to spend their holiday. And at the end of the day, it is each individual's decision on how they will do this. It's simply meant to help people make a better decision to be more happy with what they end up doing once they travel to Africa. I think to start off this whole discussion, we should just look at how does this happen? How do people book this? Why do people do this? And specifically, why do we think this is the right thing to do and not the other kind of tourism? So let's look at the arguments of why should we go to a sanctuary to help breed predators and help hand rear them and so on. The argument overall is pretty simple. Over the last sort of say 50, 60 years, we've had a major decline in, for example, lions in Africa in the wild. We're looking at potentially about 90% of the wild lion population that has simply disappeared, which makes them a species very vulnerable to extinction in our near future. The argument is close by to say, oh my God, we have to stop this. Let's breed lions and let's release them in Africa. Why don't we take all the lions from zoos and circuses and bring them to Africa and put them back in the wild because that's where they're supposed to be and how can they just be taken away from there? It comes so easy to say, let's spend a holiday at this place where we can 
pet these animals and be with them and take amazing photographs and enjoy ourselves while we're doing something that is so good for the overall wildlife situation in Africa at the same time. It's just something that I think out of a yeah, sort of eight to five job somewhere and you're busy and you're occupied and family at home and maybe you're thinking about the world and you want to do something good and then you find that and there's all these cute little animals and happy people helping them, feeding them and it just looks like the perfect thing to do. So this is what we're going to book and that's where you end up. And to be completely honest, that's exactly how I started off in Africa, although I had dreamt my whole life of working in nature conservation. I think what I'm going to be explaining throughout this discussion is what nature conservation really means and why I don't try to breed lions. To start looking a little bit deeper into this whole situation, I think it's important just to take the main arguments that are here. And we just discussed the first, which is we have lost most of our wild lion population in an incredibly short time span, which is devastating and definitely a horrible thing for anybody who cares about nature and wildlife anywhere on this earth. The argument now comes easy to say we have to breed these animals there otherwise they're going to become extinct and in order to increase the production in a way or the breeding what actually happens is that people will argue and say we need you to come and bottle feed our little leopards or little lions or little cheetahs because if a lioness for example gives birth she would usually spend quite a considerable amount of time one and a half two years raising that litter that she just had before she'll end up having a new litter now, in the wild, should a lioness lose this litter, that first litter, she would immediately go on heat again and become pregnant again because what she wants to do is reproduce, and if she does not have cubs, she'll try and reproduce again. A lioness is only pregnant for just about three months. It's a fairly short time span, which means if you let the lioness become pregnant, take the cubs away from her, raise them somewhere by hand, the lioness will be on heat again right away, and... Maybe after four or five months from the first litter, you can expect another one and so on and so on. So you're increasing this, which makes a valid argument for saying if we want to create more lines, then let's do that because we're losing so many. We have to make as much as possible. And there's your argument for why you should go and help people bottle feed these animals to rear them because obviously it's a lot of work and somebody has to do it. And if you pay money to do it and to be there, then fantastic because... You're contributing to something good and you're having fun at the same time and you don't mind spending your money in such a way. What's important to, to consider is not just is this a valid argument to produce more lines and without even looking at the reality, do we need those lines somewhere out in the wild and will they actually go there? Let's think about what does this mean for the one line. Imagine you had a dog, the dog has pubs. Those pups are super cute and so many people would like to see them and like to do this. I'm pretty convinced that even if it's your best friends, if it gets too much and say 10 people every day want to come and play with your pups, you will start to notice that the pups are maybe not quite happy and that it's just getting a little bit too much because they're tiny and wobbly and need to sleep a lot. And although they look cute, they're actually not something that you're just supposed to cuddle and have with you the whole time. And they actually bond with specific people because that's now their person to go to. It becomes like a mother replacement if the real mom isn't there anymore. Having new people around every day is probably not the same thing 
And I think most people who would have these pubs who actually care about them would try and, you know, keep them a bit calm and just keep them around a few people before they just let too much interaction with hundreds of different people happen. Think of it a little bit further. Think about our own children. Would we think it's a good idea to take that child and basically raise it without one or a couple of parents and, you know, have a bunch of people come every day because they think the baby is cute, pay you some money and bottle feed it and pet it and change the diapers and clean it. It's not really how anybody would, you know, want to treat their child. I don't think it's really how anybody would want to have their pubs or their dogs, or anything like that treated. And I don't think it's really how we really would think that lion cubs in Africa should be treated, even if they should be raised by humans. That's one thing where without thinking in a bigger picture, I think if we're honest with each other, that there is a real point that makes a bit of a difficult situation because although it's something that people would like to do so badly, I think somewhere inside we're probably fairly aware if we actually use our brains that it's maybe not the ideal way to spend the holiday and maybe it's not the perfect thing for the animals, but maybe it is something that we would just have a lot of fun with. I guess that's everyone you know, everyone's own choice to think about that and whatever they they like. We can now look at realities. What's real in Africa? Are the people in Africa not good at raising animals? I actually believe almost the opposite. A lot of people in Africa are very good with animals. They live on farms, they're around animals a lot, and they're capable of raising these animals. And their salaries are so low that the money spent that we, you know, use to go on a holiday would probably employ some of the people here in a job for a year or two, which means our one holiday could hire somebody permanently to look after, for example, those lion cubs that we instead come to pet. And although often there is somebody called a handler around, if it's a tourist enterprise and hundreds of people every day come to see these animals and that changes all the time, even if it's something where people book for weeks or months at a time, it's a constant turnover of people. It's not exactly the most ethical way of, you know, raising any being on this earth, I believe. Much more important than the the whole story about petting and is it good to have a lot of people around those animals or not. And I mean, that's something we can argue about. But what's really important is to look at the fact, where do these lions go? Do we really have a place for them to be released? Is there really space for more lions in Africa, somewhere in the wild? And that's something we're just quickly going to have to talk about. Our food pyramid in Africa, or anywhere in the world, is obviously built up out of all kinds of layers. And it starts with a very, very wide layer on the bottom, which is full of all the the underlying geology, the, the stuff that's actually, you know, there that we can't change it, all, all the soil type and the climate, all of these given factors that we can't actually change much, they're there and that creates a certain habitat. And with the rainfall and the humidity and the climate, the temperatures that exist in that place, certain vegetation might grow. Of that vegetation, certain animals will feed off. And usually certain animals will feed off these animals. So you have those herbivores eating a lot of the vegetation and then you have predators predating on the herbivores, which keeps their populations in check and it takes out the sick, 
the old and the weak, the genetically disabled and things like that. That's how this ecosystem sort of balances itself very carefully and very, very well maintained. And on top of that, you have a bunch of scavengers like some hyenas and vultures that are actually cleaning up this ecosystem and preventing a lot of diseases and things like that. So everyone has their role. And what I just said is summarizing such a complex thing in such a short little sentence. We will go into a lot more detail on this in future podcasts, but for now, it's just important that we understand this pyramid or we just have a little picture of this in our minds. What's obvious with this whole scenario is that if we take away that bottom layer, this existence of an ecosystem, the soil type, the vegetation, you know, all these things, and that we can do, we can just plaster the whole place full with a gigantic city. The ecosystem's gone. Now, does it make sense to release animals into this area? Let's take something like Berlin, a beautiful big city, lots of people living there. Now, that used to be beautiful forest land, some swamp lands, probably full of wolves, bears, all kinds of animals like that. Would it make sense today to say, let's breed them and let's have everybody come together and help us breed them faster just so we can put them back into this place because they used to belong there? Obviously not. It's a bit of a stupid way of putting it, but we're going to get into a little bit more not so stupid scenarios in a moment. And the next one, which is not so stupid, is probably to say, let's look at Africa and let's look at what's really going on. We have an increasing human population in Africa. We have increasing exploitation in Africa of all kinds of resource out of these areas here. A lot of area, for example, in the Kalahari is already used for farming. And a lot of that farming is not for any Botswana market. It's actually the European Union who has sort of brought the farming into Botswana in a big scale and who is the big client for this. Now, that enables a lot of people to enhance their livelihoods, to live better, to earn money, but it automatically takes space away from a lot of our other animals. And in this case, we're not even talking about our predators yet. We're simply saying if we take a big area and we farm cattle, then we're taking this area, the vegetation that grows there, which would have normally fed our wild herbivores like our zebras and wildebeest and giraffes and so on. That stuff now feeds our cattle. Now, nobody that wants to farm cattle would like to have herds of wildebeest come through. It might look beautiful to us on the postcard. You say, oh, how romantic. Look at all this wildlife and cattle together. But in reality, the wildebeest are eating what the cattle are supposed to eat. So we don't need that to happen. We want our beef to grow. And if other animals come in and take it all, they won't grow. And those wild animals might have the opportunity to move on to go somewhere else. Our cattle sit here on the farm that we have. So we don't want those other animals here. Now, immediately, that means if lions come into this area, which they definitely would have occupied before, those lions now would not find what they normally eat. It might take them a while to get used to cattle because it makes funny noises. It doesn't really run away and you know, looks weird, smells weird. But once they find out that you can just walk up to it, grab a piece, and you know, even while you're busy eating that, the other one will just stand over there and you can take another one, they start doing that. And they get pretty good at it because it's easy. Usually there's water somewhere nearby where cattle are, so it's a comfortable place to live. This is how the problem starts. Now... Let's think a little bit. Does it make sense to leave this line there? 
Not really if we want the people who farm the cattle there to continue farming, specifically if these cattle are farmed for somewhere else in the world where we want to feed us or our pets with it or something else. It becomes an issue because the land is used for something else, not for the lion. Now does it make sense to catch that lion and say we don't want to kill it? It's probably ethically nicer than killing it, no doubt. But can we put this lion back into the park? Is there space for him there? And I think that's the big question. We're going to have to look a little bit more at not just what happens when we take a piece of Africa, but also what happens in these pretty vast areas that especially Botswana has left. And what has happened in the past in these areas is important. Let's just have a look at that. Without going into too much detail, because we're going to do this in the future, and it's going to take quite a lot of time to try and explain this so that it's really something that everyone can understand easily. And I think that's the whole point of doing these podcasts. But to just look at it very simply, if we compare the amount of lions that have disappeared in Africa to the amount of wild herbivores, which is the lion's food that has disappeared in Africa over the same time period, say the last 60 years, we're actually looking at a very equal scenario, especially big wildebeest herds, big zebra numbers, big hartebeest numbers, big springbok numbers, all kinds of big numbers have simply disappeared and to an extent up to 90% out of vast areas in Africa over the last 60 years. Again, why that happens and how all this happens, future podcasts will discuss a lot about it. What's important to understand right now is that that's just a fact. And that fact means it is fairly obvious why we have lost those 90% of our lines. There may have been as many as 200,000 lines 50, 60 years ago. Today, there may only be as few as 20,000 lines. But the sad reality is the lions are not gone because somebody went and killed all the lions. The lions are gone because somebody went and took away all their habitat. And that habitat, not essentially because of the space that's available for them. There is still big, big spaces left, but simply habitat as in food. A lion could live in New York City if he could eat a zebra every day. But there are no zebras, so there would be, wouldn't be a lion in New York City. So the Kalahari could have lots of lions, but if there's no food for them, it doesn't. There is just not much going on. We need a lot of prey availability, and that would increase our lion population. And what has decreased them, unfortunately, was not so much the hunting, but much more the disappearance of the habitat, and mostly in form of prey, which is disappearing. And largely that is because of the livestock industry. We are left from a few hundred thousand wildebeest just 50 years ago with only a couple of tens of thousands maybe left in Botswana today. And our beef um, industry has increased from a couple of tens of thousands of cattle to I think about 3 million cattle today in Botswana and another 3 million between the other livestock such as donkeys, goats and sheep. It's important to simply understand these facts and know that we don't breed the cattle, donkeys, goats and sheep for our predators in Africa to eat from. But those herbivores are obviously replacing something that otherwise the food that the lions are eating would be utilizing. So we are making the food disappear. We're making the predator disappear. This takes a little bit of wind out of the 
beginning argument of we should just make more lions for Africa because they have disappeared and we should release them into these wild places. Right, so after we just, you know, took a moment to maybe digest this whole scenario with simply the space for the lions not being there anymore, no matter how much we would like them to just be in the wild and not like them to be in the zoo or how much we would love that the cubs that we breed somewhere and raise in order to release them could actually be released. In reality, that may not be as easy as we think in the beginning. And I think it's time to look back at the actual industry of this lion breeding. There are an estimated 7,000 to 14,000 lions captive in South Africa alone at the moment, and they're bred for commercial purpose. None of these is actually bred for a conservation purpose. There may be only as few as 3,000 lions left in South Africa in the wild. Let's look at the reality here. The whole continent of Africa maybe has 20,000 lions left. The 3,000 in South Africa, if this is a real number, would make quite a large percentage for just being one country, which is fantastic. But what about the 7,000 to 14,000 bred for commercial purpose? If we would want to believe that these lions are being relocated, released, and put back into the wild, and that is why we breed them, just to save them. Then let's look at the numbers. 7,000 to 14,000 lions. Let's assume half of them are females. Let's assume just once a year, which is unlikely if they're actually being bred purposely. But let's just say, for argument's sake, once a year they have a litter of cubs. Each lioness should have at least two cubs in this scenario, probably more if they're healthy and have enough food. But let's just go with two cubs and we say half of these lions would be females. That would mean each year we would actually make 7,000 to 14,000 new lions out of this population. Now, that industry has been going for many years. And my questions would be, if there was any reality to these animals successfully being relocated and released back into the wild, then how comes the whole continent of Africa only has about 20,000 lions left in the wild if in South Africa alone we are producing seven to 14,000 a year. Unfortunately, I think if we just take these things and think about them, we all understand that it's impossible that this is a real industry that actually helps lions in the wild. So we need to look at other venues, and I don't want to go into this in much detail. Anybody who wants to discuss themselves is welcome to look into it deeper. Google has a lot of articles on it if you just start searching for these things. But... These lions are usually bred for different markets. One is Asian markets, mainly China and Vietnam, where the bone trade is huge. The bone is grinded into powders for all kinds of health purposes. And the skins are very valuable as well. So are the claws and the teeth and stuff like that. And the other big market is to have these lions shot in an industry which is known as the canned hunting industry. Canned hunting refers to lions basically being bred in captivity. They're often being reared by, by tourists who are well-meaning people that come there believing they're part of a conservation operation, breeding these animals for exactly the reason we started this podcast off with. And they spend the time of their life, they obviously enjoy it, but then they go back home. Now, a few years later, when these lions that they played with are basically forgotten because they're not small anymore, no one's played with them for a long time, they will get put into somebody's ranch which could be a massive area. The lion might actually be sort of semi-free for a couple of weeks, but often they're put there immediately when a hunter has booked a hunt to shoot that animal. And 
If you don't want to believe these things, please go on Google and find out. You can find the websites of these companies. This is not an illegal industry that we're talking about here. The trade with the bones, just as well as the uh, the hunting of these animals, is fully advertised and fully legal. And it's happening right now. Just as much as you can go book a holiday to bottle feed a lion cub, you can book a holiday on another place where you can shoot a lion and you can pick that lion on a website. The prices are there. You just click through it like on eBay and now it's yours. There's plenty of videos of that on the internet as well. If you have any doubts about what I'm saying, go prove it for yourself. If you believe me, don't do it because it's not something that anybody should be watching if you're asking me. All I want to explain is that if we're looking at reality, at two realities, the reality in our wild in Africa and the reality just in one country in Southern Africa, it's impossible to, you know, put this into a, a scenario where we can argue in any way that these lions are helping our lions in the wild. Now, if you'd want to argue, you can say, because of this industry, there are 7,000 to 14,000 lions alive in South Africa. They're breeding and we're shooting and killing and slaughtering whatever we're breeding out, but we are keeping the species alive. Personally, if it comes to that, I'm not a fan of keeping lions alive because... Nothing of what a lion's supposed to do is left in this life. And yeah, I just don't think it's worth it, to be honest. And if we get to a stage where we say we're just creating a planet where everything that we want to preserve is just put in a box and we breed it there. You know, if you want to put me into that box, I'd say rather shoot me right away because I don't want to be locked up like that. I don't I don't think that just so that my species stays alive, I, we should all sit in jail for the rest of our lifetime and foreseeable future. Africa has enough lions left in the wild to know that we're not going to lose the species entirely at the moment. They breed extremely well in captivity, so should it come to that stage, we can resolve to these things, but we don't need to do it right now. So to me, we're not preserving a species by breeding them in captivity and saying we're using the hunter's money and we're using the, the, you know, the bone trade and all of these things to finance it, and that's why we can keep these lions alive. To me, that's more like justifying why you're torturing something and it's not helping the species. Often there's a lot of inbreeding involved and they're bred for the biggest, most beautiful, which is not necessarily the one that would be the one reproducing in the wild. In the wild, it might actually be the small, tough guy who will make it. So this is just my personal opinion. Again, it's something that you can argue about. But the fact that we can establish is that none of these lions go back into the wild. One thing that should probably be noted at this stage is that there are also a lot of places that go under the sort of term of sanctuaries. Now, a sanctuary could be any large area full of even massive and beautiful enclosures where animals are kept. Those could be animals abused. Those could be animals that were injured and all kinds of things. Now, that sanctuary, if they don't breed these animals, then most likely they have an ethical reason why they would like to keep these animals alive and they're just trying to give those animals a good home that is an honorable thing to do and there's nothing wrong with it but simultaneously if they're constantly having cubs there telling people that they just had to be rescued and this is why you can come and book to pet a cub then you should just question the whole thing a little bit because if it's something that's being advertised and that you can do on a constant basis that means that there's always cubs there those things grow up extremely fast a small line after about a year will be way too much to handle for tourists on a you know sort of day-to-day -day basis. And it's just not how these things go usually. 
the whole sanctuary aspect does not involve breeding these animals. It involves just keeping them safe and giving them a good home. Anybody who'd like to visit a place like that's more than welcome. But if they let you do much more than cleaning enclosures and looking at the animals from a bit of a distance, if they are wild African animals, then usually there's a bit of a dodgy aspect to the whole thing. And I would be careful and research properly. At the same time, if you would like to help wildlife and conservation in Africa, the sanctuary is just a place where a few injured animals might live. None of these animals will go back into the wild and none of these animals will benefit the real wilderness in Africa or the wild lion populations that roam Africa. So those are just the scenarios. Now, with this whole thing being said, it is obvious that we can say, yes, those lions when they're bred for these markets, they will most likely be bred whether we go there to pet them or whether we don't. Absolutely true. The industry is not going to stop just because they lose a little bit of income from the people who come there to help raise these animals and pet them. The industry is going to continue because most of the income actually originates from the hunting and from the bone and skin trade or body part trade and so on. It's our own choice. Would we like to be part of this industry by supporting them on top of everything else, by going there to pet those animals, or are we simply going to say, no, we would like to do something else with our holiday and with our resources? The other thing that's clear is that, no, none of this will help our wild lion populations in Africa. And if anything, I believe it has the opposite sort of side effect because the attention and a lot of funding and things like that, it gets drawn away from an area where it really matters. And tourism is such an important factor for wildlife conservation in Africa. Many real wildlife areas would simply not exist here if it wasn't for the tourists. There's a big balance that we need to keep. It is not wrong to say we want to go to Africa to be around wildlife. But we really need to decide what do we want to do with it. Do we just want to go and we don't care about anything, but we want to pet these animals and we know all of this stuff happens anyways, but we don't give a, give a damn about it? Then yes, let's go and pet lions somewhere. If we want to support an ethical place, but be very close to animals, observe them close up in enclosures, be part of cleaning their little homes and things like that, we can go to a sanctuary where we may be not allowed to pet the animals or we can simply donate to a sanctuary where, where they won't even take tourists to visit because they don't want that kind of busy behavior and attention around the animals. They're just trying to keep them healthy and happy. Or do we want to help wildlife in these larger areas and do we want to create an understanding of what's really going on in Africa? And in that case, we should try and visit areas where animals are kept wild and where we can support a place where that is the main objective and in that case we're looking at the whole ecosystem and you might get lucky and there's a few things around that are sort of friendly and they come close to you but usually it just means it's a wild area and you see whatever you see or you don't see but you just get to spend time in real nature and to be honest if you ask me that is the most amazing thing you can do in Africa unfortunately financially speaking to really enjoy that the opportunities are fairly limited because it usually is fairly expensive to get that kind of experience now all that being said there are a bunch of places where you can go and simply help out at a project that just cares about africa you can usually book these places longer 
You can spend some time, learn a little bit. They actually guides courses that are meant to be for people who live here and they want to become a nature guide to guide tourists through our national parks. But these courses often finance themselves through tourism because it's such an amazing experience simply to join this course. It doesn't mean anyone has to write a test. It's just a fantastic experience. And it definitely is a much cheaper way of experiencing wildlife in Africa and getting extremely high level education and knowledge about that wildlife at the same time without having to go and pet it or anything like that it's definitely a way of gaining extremely good knowledge and information about these animals without having to spend too much money but you will be confined to one area for a certain amount of time and simply then leave that area instead of flying all over southern africa to different kinds of lodges and seeing all these different places our own project, once we open up again, will offer exactly that. People will be able to come for a minimum of 14 days and simply spend time learning, experiencing, being part of the whole thing. But none of it will have to do with petting animals. So I believe when we make our decisions about who do we support, what do we want to do with our holiday and our money, I think it's important to keep the overall picture a little bit in mind and to me, what's important is the actual ethics in our society. Would I want to be part of a society where I would sell my own children just because people want to come and, and pet them and clean them and have fun with them? No, I would never do that. I would like to raise my own child should I have one. And I would like to do it as good as possible without all of this going on. Even though I could be making money, I wouldn't do it. I like to live in an ethical world where we do things that we believe truly are right to do. And in the past, a lot of things were different. We had a lot less knowledge, even about breeding lions. We just know they're disappearing. Maybe in the beginning, a lot of this was pure good intent with a lack of information. And people start, come on, let's bring these lions in before they're being shot again. And let's just put them here and let's breed them. And tourists could come and help with it because everybody needs to somehow make money to feed these animals and to keep it all going. And maybe only recently people found out, hey, actually this whole thing doesn't make sense. But today, if we go and we book a holiday, we have no more excuses because the truth is out there. We have the internet available to us and everyone can look at it. And I think the question is, how do we want to impact on the next future? How do we want to, you know, make people think about what we have done with our lives. Do we want to you know, step back into an unethical society or do we want to say, hey, let's use the information that we have today and apply it to a holiday, which simply means, okay, if 20, 30 years ago, it was fine to go to Africa and pet lions because we're trying to do something good today, we know that doesn't work. And what actually turned out of it is a very unethical and gross business and you know, maybe we wouldn't want to be part of it and promote this for the future and for our children. I have made these same mistakes and I don't regret any of it. It brought me to where I am today. Suga was a different story for me because when I did get her, I actually was sort of over the whole petting these animals thing. There is no doubt a lot of excitement and joy and love in raising a lion. But I did say from the beginning that this time I will do it for myself. And although a few people were allowed to be around Serga when she was very small, they weren't supposed to touch her or talk with her. They were just supposed to be there and see it because they were around anyways. We never advertised anything like it. People never came because of that. And basically, once Serga got bigger and she started trying to kill things, 
we completely stopped any sort of interaction. I never tried to breed any more lions. On the contrary, the place where we were, where these captive lions were sitting, who were problem animals on ranches, and they were caught. I came in there when it was already going for a very long time, and the owner was actually overwhelmed with all the lions and uh, how many they, be they were becoming because they kept on breeding in the enclosures. And he was perfectly happy with me trying to stop all the reproduction because he had no intent of making more lions because it was costing him an arm and leg to just feed these animals. So we spent a lot of our own hard-earned money to put hormone implants into all the lions that were already there in the sanctuary set up so that no breeding can happen anymore. Sugar was something that happened in the very beginning before I had a chance to, to do all of that. And I don't regret it either, but what I can say is I didn't make it a two-week holiday raising Silga. I really spent eight years now by her side pretty much. And with all the amazing support and help we've been getting lately, Silga is actually getting a pretty amazing life for a lion because she's not in danger of running into a cattle farm and being shot. She's not in danger of running into a village and killing a human and then being killed. She's not in danger of getting poached for her bones because we're close to her and we're looking after her. She's here with us, but she has a 20 square kilometer area that she can roam where she can hunt her own food and where we can still look after her. So, yeah, I think given her circumstance, this is pretty much the ideal scenario, at least for what I could imagine for her. I hope that although I am a guy who runs around with a lion people can understand my view on this whole lion petting industry and i hope people can understand that there is a big difference between doing this and spending your life doing it and many many years of your life versus you know just booking a two-week holiday and yeah bottle feeding a lion and then leaving it again pretty much like you make a child it's supposed to be a bit of a lifetime commitment Whereas, you know, borrowing a child or renting a child for a few weeks would be something that we wouldn't think ethically is very correct. And a lion as a child is probably something even more difficult to deal with than a human because when it grows up, it becomes quite a machine that wants to kill people. And it's not exactly something you can let go and it's going to start living its own life. The lion really needs a lifetime full of assistance and care in order to live a full and happy life and it's a big commitment and yeah i'm proud of what we've achieved with Serga, and i hope that i can live up to her expectations in the future and keep her happy for the rest of her life i am fully aware that having raised Serga directly has nothing really to do with nature conservation it did save Serga's life it has given me an amazing experience over the last eight years and something very unique that I know not many people will ever get to do. But I don't claim that having raised her is a big achievement in conservation or is going to save Africa's wild lions. What I do hope is that the story and that the attention that Serga is getting and because of her we are getting is something that we can turn into, you know, a bigger picture and actually turn it into something that really benefits nature conservation in Africa and benefits the wild lions that are suffering so badly in our national parks and game reserves or to be more precisely the lions who venture out of these national parks and game reserves. If Serga's story can be used for something 
great in the future and for something that actually benefits wild animals while she can have a good happy life in her 2000 hectare area then i don't see how i did anything wrong with raising her and i am beyond thankful for the opportunity that i was given to just do this and and have the chance to experience all of that and i guess this is why we're trying to do the podcast to share as much as possible of this story and as much as possible of what i could learn from it all right this was a bit of a you know difficult podcast to do i think a lot of ethical stuff about something that maybe a lot of people really dream of and i know there's a lot of animal lovers out there who can't imagine anything better than being in africa and petting a lion for just once in their life and having the picture taken the sad reality is if there's a place to do this kind of stuff it's not an ethically okay scenario and do we want to be part of that or not it's our own decision yeah i don't really want to talk a lot more about those kind of things i just think it's important that i make my stand on the whole situation given the fact that i have surga that i apparently claim to do nature conservation work and not just raising lines and things like that but as far as the podcasts go i think this is enough about this whole situation with with lion petting canned hunting and so on i might make a few small episodes about one specific subject if there would be a lot of questions or anything like that but overall the future podcasts are simply supposed to be educational about the real conservation issues everything that i've learned in the last 10 years in africa is something i would like to explain to anyone who's interested and give them real insight and a lot more about this food pyramid all the little layers in between the vegetation how the herbivores impact the vegetation and maybe how even a lion impacts the vegetation in a bit of a different way than the zebra so there's so many fascinating aspects and things that are so important to understand and that's just what i want to speak about not these ethical dilemmas i think i made my stand with it and we can leave it there we're going to now from now on go into real conservation topics real conservation ideas and real realities in africa what's actually happening and what has happened in the past here in the kalahari and on top of that we'll make a few podcasts simply about anecdotes of life here in the bush obviously stories about surga and next time just to talk a little bit more about surga we're going to start with how surga actually grew up and how she learned to hunt and yeah that'll be next time's subject thank you for listening thanks for listening to this episode of the kalahari diaries did you enjoy the podcast fantastic you can help me tremendously by subscribing and rating it on your podcast app Leave a review and tell friends and family about it if you feel like it. If you want to know more about this story, go ahead and check out the website on surgathelioness.com or follow me on social media. You'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at Valgrüne, that is at V-A-L-G-R-U-E-N-E-R, and at Modisa Wildlife Project, where I'm sharing photos and videos from the Kalahari on a regular basis. I'm Val, and you've been listening to the Kalahari Diaries.